Welcome back to the season finale of Escaping Gilead for the fourth season of The Handmaid's Tale. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And tonight, thanks to me being somewhat under the weather, we've invited our third co-owner of Pod Clubhouse, Mike, to join us and say intelligent things on my behalf. (laughs) Well, uh, intelligent is going to be a reach for me, but I will have words and I will say them. We want all your opinions, okay, Mike? We know you're a Handmaid's Tale aficionado. You practically have, you know, the uh, tattoo on your back. Right, you are the commander suit. I, uh, <laughs> that's my leisure wear, right. you know. Right. You don't let no the bastards land. grind you down. I don't you're let at- the bastards. I, that tattoo I do have across, like, my tramp stamp area, so it's nice. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> it's a very, I have a very large back. Sick. So. <laughs> He's got room for a few sayings. <laughs> oh, God. They allow All right. Me, well, like Twitter, they allow me 280 characters. So you guys, this is an exciting episode because we are bringing you a fantastic interview with Bruce Miller. He was so amazing with us. He talked to us about the finale and just basically like let us ask and say anything we wanted and was so gracious. He even offered to come back this summer. So even though we didn't get everything answered we would want to, he said he'd come back and chit chat with us. So we're going to take him up on that. We definitely are for sure. So let's get started, you guys. What else do you start with? I mean, this this is a big one because there's a character death. A yeah. big character death. Bum, and bum, bum. <laughs> everything leads to it. In fact, some of the building stuff that's that's like the stuff that they talk about, the stuff that they worry about, it all gets sort of erased <laughs> when they yeah. when they take but, out. Fred. But that makes for the best reveal, right? I mean there was if if it just led a straight line directly to his death, it would have been like, Okay. But this was like zigzag, 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 like who are we upset at? Who are we looking at now? Who's our friend even? You guys, the perpetual question who's on June's side is a big mystery. Sometimes June's not even on June's side. You know, she wrestles. She's on Alfred's side sometimes. She she wrestles so much with herself. I mean, she was breaking my heart with the Emily, with the the breakdown about, uh, you know, a good mother would let this go. Mm. I I felt that, but like, that's also so on brand for her though. You know, that's clearly a worry she's always having. Is that true, Caroline? Would a good mother let that go? You know, we talked about this a little bit in our last podcast, I think, or at least offline, if not. My thing is that, no, I don't think a good mother lets things go. I think they compartmentalize. I think they take things and handle them when appropriate, whether that be as small as crying in the shower about it or as big as advocating for a change when they can in an appropriate way. But but the whole idea of like, I should only be thinking about my kids and my husband that's what a good mom does is is kind of a sketchy thought process for me like no i mean you still have your own things you're still a person you're you still have an identity a past you still have your own causes your own concerns so uh no i i think that's really being harsh on herself when june made her first escape into canada via the boat and we posed on facebook was she still in her right mind when she kept trying to get off the boat and go back for hannah even though she was concussed, there were a lot of uh, responders who said similar kinds of ideas. I don't know any mother that wouldn't want to jump off the boat and just, you know, swim freestyle back into Gilead for, for Hannah. It was a lot of responses. And then there were a few others that were like, actually, you know, it's better just to regroup. So it is, it isn't just like a, 
a clearly defined, you know, axiomatic good mother definition of yeah. it. Isn't it possibly, and it struck me like this, that it's more about this brainwashing that she's getting, this constant drum being beat into her by Moira, by Luke, by Rita, by Tuello, let it go let it go move on let it go you know where it's like maybe she's even june who has these endless reservoirs of strength and and fire in her belly has to eventually start to question herself when that's all she's hearing emily's the only one who's allowing her to kind of breathe her fire and let her have her anger um and there's not mm. nearly enough emily around her these days but it, it is emily whose fire she fed pretty recently and Emily's found that she likes the fire more than she expected. <laughs> Emily has has had a lot of damage done to her more than most. I want to go to the beginning scenes because that is where I think we revisit what some of the anger and some of the pain where it's all coming from because a lot of us haven't been back to Jezebel's in a very long time. I have a difficult time rewatching these episodes, Mike. I don't know about you. You know, we rewatch it in the moment to to rewatch for notes and stuff like that. But I haven't started back at the beginning of the series and just entertained myself with the episodes. Are you somebody who does go back and watch? Well, first, I want to say on the record, much like Commander Fred, unfortunately, and I don't mean to sound like him, uh, I've not been to Jezebel's. And if I have been to Jezebel's, not in the way you're implying. So when you say go back to Jezebel's, I, I want to make sure we're clear. Oh, okay. <laughs> For the articles. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> For who was ever recording this. Oh, shit. I'm Got recording it. this. God damn it. Um, nice. So I, I actually binged the whole season getting ready for season four. So the series is kind of fresh in my mind. The Jezebel stuff was always so nauseating to me. I find him nauseating. Everything about it, it grossed me out. So I actually glazed over a lot of that stuff. I don't know that I actually picked up a lot of the sailing details because I found it so stomach-twisting. It's hard, too. It's hard to go back to those really uncomfortable moments. And I thought that it was very clever and, and great cueing to the audience how she would list off the four things. Don't run. Don't yell. Don't kick. Don't bite. Because that comes up back at the end and they practically do it in the same order. And the whole thing was like, wow, okay, what a fantastic bookending situation from the beginning to the end here. Yeah, definitely you're sitting there like, why are we getting this flashback? This is the season finale and we're getting this random Jezebel's flashback at the start of the episode, but it has such a great payoff at the end. Before we get deep dark into June's journey on this one, because it is complicated, it's twisty and turny, let's quickly go over to the Waterfords because they have, well, a little... <laughs> it's wild, but it also gets cut short. So I, I think we should we should give them their due first. Tuello, for me anyway, his, his, he's had this big heart line you know, going out to Serena. And I and I felt it was being reciprocated to a certain extent, but certainly he's had the puppy dog eyes for her, I feel like, all season. So tonight was a little bit of surprise because he kind of overtly admits that, really, or comes the closest to having feelings for her when he says, you know, explain that to me, Serena. Why would you go off with him kind of thing? Uh, so I was surprised by that, but I think maybe I was even more surprised that Serena was so forcefully throwing in with Fred or so faithfully throwing in with Fred. I get exp expedited housing, maybe even the faster internet, even though that made me chuckle because I mean, <laughs> we're all looking for faster internet. Serena. Um, but like the idea, like the inter interrogator has to give Fred more respect. Like he can't hear you. He's in the other room. I don't get where she's coming from. Like that kind of thing made me turn my head a little bit that, that she was 
going so hard for him. You know, one thing that I found interesting about this scene, the way that she says that, you know, you mentioned, can you justify that to me? And she says something to the effect of that she wants, she, she wants to live as a family. How we've, Caroline and I have been talking about how in some ways June has been paralleling Lydia in certain ways. And then in this scene, she's very much paralleling Serena because that's kind of how she's thinking about her life with Luke. It's not really that she's so into Luke, but this idea of being with Hannah and a family is more attractive and something that she wants to go for, at least mentally. Well, she knows it's something she's supposed to go for. Yeah. That's the thing. And this is what Serena is supposed to want. It's important to point out, though, that we've kind of backtracked a little bit for Serena in terms of where her power is. She's been given her notepad back. She's back to writing books. She's back to taking phone calls. She's handling this like a press secretary with Fred. It's not so difficult to understand why she's willing to retake this role. For Tuello, she's saying, I'm going to go, I'm retaking the role of being Serena Joy in Gilead. But Serena Joy has no intention of going back to Gilead. She is trying to retake the role of when she was on the book tour and Fred was her lackey and she's writing books and she's coming up with all these ideas with her, you know, little groupies outside. That's the role she's taking back over. Mm-hmm. That's a different one than I think Tuello even really 100% understands there. We did kind of throw that out to Bruce Miller about, you know, is Tuello and Serena a thing? He definitely gave some eyebrows about like, uh, it's going to be a little difficult for her to uh, be cool with Tuello after tonight's episode. So... I don't know what that actually means. That was it certainly wasn't a no, there couldn't be anything in their future. But it was really clear that Mark, I mean, he had glassy eyes. I had mentioned to Paul that I really wondered also, though, if part of the glassy eyes and part of the hurt there was that he realized the brainwashing power of Gilead and how he had thought of Serena as such a strong person and how she had come so far in helping turn the tide for the Americans and get some information from from Gilead and bring Fred out and all this kind of stuff. And then to see her just slip back into these old ways, there was almost like a hurt in his eyes about that too. That could or could not be about this love affair with her. And it sort of echoes that moment when he gives her the ultrasound or whatever the pregnancy results. If you remember, he's pretty cordial to her. He, he wants her to defect last season. Mm-hmm. There's this you know the puppy dog eye effect but that scene when he gives her the pregnancy results he kind of tosses it at her and is like congratulations and right. then like, walks off same kind of deal right well it's, yeah. he has this idea of who serena joy is that's not actually who serena joy is right i mean he thinks he's being a little bit white knightish and saving her from this monster without really appreciating all without really appreciating not really hearing like june's warnings about her he yeah. has this idea of her but doesn't really see the real her and and serena is a cersei lannister type she's gonna go where the winds blow that's most favorable to her and right now up until it's not in this episode fred is the guy to hit your wagon to so i i understand why i guess she's she's acting like the press agent and and being in line and god when she says yeah fred we can zoom i i laughed out loud it was oh no she goes sure fred Sure, Fred. We can zoom. You know, <laughs> I was it was like, sure, Fred. You know, okay, but then well, she's but I have trying to zoom him though. At the end, you know, she's I, doing all yeah, of the roles. But she's I've going got questions. I've got questions, Mike. I've got questions about all that. About what Serena knew and when 
she knew it and how she knew it and what that zoom session not going through really meant was that like a nod like uh fred didn't make it fred uh. didn't make it <laughs> you know like what because she doesn't hug and kiss him goodbye she doesn't do i mean it is cold it is like well mm -hmm. well that though, like that changes the entire thing of the uh you know them returning fred's ring dot 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 finger in mm. in the packaging I, i've been waiting all week to make that joke i wrote the exact same joke in my notes including I, I the dots i don't <laughs> think she was in on it though because why would she get the ring finger well that well that was the question <laughs> it changes it it goes from being a, a horse's head in the bed to proof of the job being done right is, is it right is it, this is what happens when you fuck with june or is it it's done. Here's his ring as proof of that because it's what we could fit in the envelope to mail. Mm. All super good questions, I think, and I hope will come out in season five as we sort of understand, again, Tuello's relationship with Serena and Serena and where she fits into all of this because she has been sly as a fox. You know, she's making her own side deals. As soon as Naomi came with that whole concept of, you know, the baby's really the states. Yeah, but this whole idea that it really belongs to Gilead, she, Serena started fighting her own fight in a different way. We would always be in the wrong if we underestimate Janine, Serena, June, Lydia. We'd be in the wrong. Think about the eyebrows that Naomi gives Serena when she when she catches the legal pad she's writing her notes oh, yeah. on. I mean, oh, yeah. did a man leave this here? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I hope you averted your eyes. <laughs> yes. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, craziness. Can, we, can we stay with Tuella for one second though? Because yeah. June has a great conversation with him uh, at the beginning of the episode about uh, you know he he says with a straight face, which I give him credit for, about being on June's side. Now. I don't know whose side Tuello's on, but I don't think he's on June's side. Whose side is he? Is he on Serena's side? Is is that the fantasy in his head that the two of them are running off to Hawaii together? I mean, I don't think so. I think he's on America's side. I think he's on the side of wanting to take down Gilead. And I don't think he was being flippant when he was basically acting as if there's bigger fish to fry and we need to get the bigger fish. But that's different than being on June's side, though. Well, I think I think going after bigger fish, and I think June even appreciated that. I mean, she she says to him, "Is he everything you hope for?" And he, I give him a lot of credit for being like, "Yeah, absolutely." Knowing how he feels about Serena and all that, he still is admitting that he is a good witness, disgusting monster as he is. But that's different than I think being on June's side. What does June represent, though? She represents like the victims of Gilead. So. There's different things, though, like you can be a police officer who wants to solve the crime for the sake of solving the crime or for the sake of justice for the victims. And th those are two different things. And I think that a lot of times Tuella wants to do what's right, what's right for overthrowing Gilead. That's not the same thing necessarily as saving all the victims. Does that make sense? Like, it's not. Again, no, but know. that's different than being on June's side, though. I'm not saying you're wrong, and I'm not saying that his intentions are wrong. But that conversation when he says, really, June, I'm on your side, I, I don't think that's true. She has to she has to walk him through the logic of saving 22 lives later on with Joseph. Uh, you know, these are the lives you're saying in case you don't realize. Like, that didn't seem to be obvious to him because he's got his bosses that he's answering to in all of his other rules. I, I, I just want to I just want to put out there that he's not a friend to June. He's he's a friend to June as long as June is useful to him because he's yeah. got he's got his own aims. 
I so, can agree with that. Yeah, I think uh, a thousand percent. We're all saying the same thing. He's trying to solve the mystery. He's not about the victim so hard as much as solving the case of, of how do we get rid of Gilead, right? And, and that's that's definitely the whole thing. I But one of the things that Bruce Miller has said in a couple of interviews is there's really no teams. Everybody is on team survival. And so there's no team June. Mark can't be on her team or be on other people. Like and, and Nick's not, he doesn't have his own. It's all, we're trying to survive. Like we're actively at war, you know? I mean, Tuelo is representing a country that's been taken over. Knowing that and knowing that this is a survival situation for some of these people, a lot of these people, most of these people, then there's a whole other team that's just about how do I get to the end of the day? And it just depends on how immediate those needs are. So if you're in Gilead, obviously they're more immediate. For Mark Tuello, people can say, no, he sleeps fine at night, but his country's gone. Like, let's not forget, like there, he is a victim of this situation as well. When he hands, when he frog marches Fred over to Nick and Joseph at the end and reminds him that he's being returned to stand justice for the laws that he helped write, you don't think there's a little bit of in the back of his mind, like, I'm going to go booty Serena tonight, you know, like, <laughs> I think there is. I mean, it's all roses for him. Fred is dead. But women are saved. 22 people they thought dead are saved. And now he's got a clear path to Serena. I think that's definitely on his mind. I think there is a team in his head besides his duty to America, I guess. Well, Fred sees it. I mean, he calls him on it mm -hmm. with his uh, call of, uh, I see what you covet. Right. Yes. The Lord sees what you covet. Well, that does raise the bigger question of, of Tuello's complicity with the the actual murder. Yeah, because we yeah. don't really know how far everything went. I think he felt vindicated by saying... We're turning you over to the people to have to stand to the laws that you wrote. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that was the end of the day for, for Tuello. And so he didn't feel like he went further than that. I mean, do you think that's just clever wordplay? Because the idea of being beaten to death and strung up out in a field, as far as we know, that fits right in with Gilead sure. letter of the law, you know? So, right. Uh, or is it, I was kind of going under the assumption that once he handed him over, whatever happened fucking happened and he was done with it you know? yeah i mean he says the icc ruled fred unfit for uh leniency so legally he was clear to take charge back of him again and he handed him off he made a prisoner exchange what they did to him afterwards uh, you know well that kind of where, where it comes back in with the whole <laughs> his chances with zarina <laughs> bruce sort of seemed to indicate that 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 will impact it if she perceives that that he had something to do with the murder. And that's a big question mark for me is, does he? Yeah, Did I mean, I, I think we definitely have to figure out, think about that ring finger in the, in the bag then. What was the message? Was it proof or was it a warning? So right. Who it's all that? tied together. Yeah. What was the return address on that package, <laughs> my man? Right. And funny if there's a post office in no man's land in that frontier wild that there's like a, you know, a mail, et cetera. So what do you think the point of June going to meet Fred was? I... I enjoyed watching the conversation, even though it was highly cringy. I liked when June sent the guard away, mm. the way her, her demeanor in that. But then the way Fred's mind, he perceives their relationship totally differently than June does. Everything that he says and the back, you know, the, the back and forth with them. It's like he thinks that they had a thing. You hear him talking to June about their relationship. You hear him talk to Serena, you know, like, I'll zoom you. You know, or like, I wish you were going to be on the plane. This guy has no understanding of women and or his relationship with them. Like he's 
he's just living his own play in his head. Uh, I mean, what we had vital to our survival, it wasn't love, but it was something very strong. I mean, Fred, <laughs> I don't scrabble, buddy. I don't know. I, mm. I think that the entire scene was to build tension. I mean, it was for us to try to start understanding that she had the wherewithal to get that close to him. And it was incrementally getting closer to him. So it was like at first she was with him with a guard in the room. Then she dismisses the guard. Then she's like she's like getting closer and closer to him. And when she's over, like touching all of his stuff, there's definitely, I mean, because we had the episodes with Mrs. Keys about Nightshade and all that stuff, there's definitely a feel when the camera zooms in on him pouring drinks. There was a heightened sense of like, is she going to poison him? Is that what's happening between the two of them? And what has she come here to do exactly? Like, it definitely seemed we had been set up with poisoning the commander. I mean, they showed all the poisoning she had done this season. Think about it. She took out that other Jezebel house that this scene would have made perfect sense for her to have poisoned him. When, when she says, I need a drink, I was like, all right, here we go. This is, this well, is and they zoomed in on him slowly doing each glass. And, and, and there was like so much, and she had been fiddling around over there. And there was just this like complete sense of drawing him in and trying to make him talk about these, these old days. Remember all this May, stuff? Maybe it was she was deciding whether or not she could actually live with this idea of letting it go. And even though, even though he apologized and she didn't expect the apology, she still found herself like, you know what? Not good enough. Why well, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it was a, an entire experiment in like, and how close can I get to him? What can I say? Do I still have power over him? Can I still, you know, manipulate him? And can I stomach? Can I like let this go enough to be able to move on? And when she realized like, no, he still makes my skin crawl. I can't deal. She had to walk out of there with like, I need a whole new plan. Yeah, just to piggyback on both of those things. It's kind of like you think like the Roman emperor, right? And the gladiator ring where they would give a thumbs up or a thumbs down, that kind of weighing. Like, I feel like that's what she was doing in her head. You know, Mm -hmm. she's checking out the cigars and smelling them and the uh, lawyer book the you know how to argue argue and win book and you know she's 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 weighing everything how how nice this guy is living how peacefully he's living talking about their time his, her time as Offred and what he what he thought and I think that was a curveball I, I originally was questioning whether or not those tears were real and I think I've come down on the side that they were because I think it did catch her off guard I think she had a script in her head a little bit of how it was going to go and it deviated, but I, I agree. When she gets back in the car with Luke, she's mulling it over, and I think she makes her decision. She gives the thumbs down. Oh, so. a thousand percent. When she says, "I'm going to put him on the wall," right. I mean, that was Very it. Thumbs, thumbs down. Thumbs yes. down. Yes. <laughs> Very <laughs> casually. So. Yeah, and I think I think she was like, it was like testing the water. You know, like she just yeah. wanted to see, like, was his mindset any different? I think the thing that got me, you guys, is when he said to her, "I understand you needed to frame it up in a certain way to the judge and in front of your husband." My soul like broke in half the idea that he was trying to make it out that june had like lied and made it into this whole like oh he was the aggressor but really she like wanted to be a part of this whole like i was like oh 
Like you're so sick. Right, that, but that's why I think that's what like Paul and I were saying. Like he has he has this fundamental fiction in his head of what their relationship really was. That the I understand you had to frame it up, kind of like ah, I get it. Like you know, you got in front of your husband and you had to like. Well, I forgive story, you kinda, for yeah, that. Yeah, like, nothing personal. Like, I get it. You had to frame it up. Like I told Serena the same thing. I wasn't into you. Kind of you know, like you know, <laughs> that's part and parcel of the what we had and the vital to our survival. All that was all part of this like play in his head of man, this was my love. You know, gone too soon. And she's like, man, I, I, you have no idea what it took not to bite your face off, you know. <laughs> All right. So let's let's talk for a minute about that June and Luke ride home. And, and let's kind of we're going to really put our focus on June for for most of the remainder of this, because she is the chess master moving forward here. She kind of put on her um, her little Bobby Fisher jacket once she <laughs> when she headed over to Chitty Chat with Fred. Right. I, you guys, I had a real issue with Luke in how and his humor. It was pretty off-putting to me. Well, he clearly didn't get the memo what we were doing, <laughs> what this was all about, what the tone was to be expected for the remainder of the evening. Mister, let's go get a fucking beer was was highly out of place for yeah. the emotions that were in going Boston. on. Let's go get a yes. beer in Boston. In yeah. Boston, like I don't know who you could say that to, whose country is currently being occupied. Who are you making jokes with that you're yeah. going back to your old neighborhood and and do the old things you would have done? Like that feels like too soon, man. Like what is the matter? And I know she laughs, but it was like, no, I don't, Luke. I think she's not even. I think she's only half listening to Luke at that point. I think I think she's not only making decisions about the thumbs down for Fred. She's making she's making decisions on her place with Luke and Moira and Nicole. She's making plans and decisions on what is going to happen with Fred and what she can do about it. She She's making all of these large life decisions in this car ride. You know, she says, I'm going to put him on the wall. And of course, Luke, like the Greek chorus is, you know, you've got to let him go. Why? Why does she have to let him go for one thing? But then she's like, I'm going to put him right on the fucking wall. Like, she's not even listening. She's making her decision. I don't think Luke could have said anything at that point that would have really gotten through to her. He just doesn't get it. He, I, I just don't think he understands who she is or where she is right now. You know, the June he thinks he knows is not this June, that she's just been too changed. The main thing that we get out of the whole Fred visit, and including the car ride home, is that June does miss Alfred. She does miss her strength. And there is something to her needing to dip back into that and needing to feel strong again and empowered again. I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but me and you we were actually on an IWAP and I said, I used to not be scared of any horror movies ever until I became a mom. And now I'm scared of everything. That's where this is. Now that she has to be a full-time mom, she is in this constant state of doubting herself and guilt and all this stuff. And she misses being like having this force within her where she just knows what she wants and knows what she needs to do and she just goes for it. So I appreciate all of this missing off Fred. Talking to Fred made her realize or at least made her admit to herself out loud that June in Canada is like a shell or like a neutered version of Offred getting shit done and, and bashing heads and evacuating children and, and being a badass. And if not for that conversation with Fred, maybe she would have come to that realization at some point. But I don't know if she would have come to it 
right then and there and if she had been able to or would have had the courage to put that plan in motion because by doing that by giving him the thumbs down and and making that decision it really also ties her hands on what she's going to do with luke and nicole and moira and that aspect of her life like she can't have both and i think she realizes that by committing to making sure fred gets put on the wall she kind of has to sacrifice the family life it seems that way. And yeah. and that was a huge conversation we've had throughout this entire season. All of our listeners will remember we had a lot of conversations about the individual fighting for healing or what they need to do in order to get through their trauma versus fighting for the larger cause and, right. and getting back out there and fighting the war. And where do you fall in and what what is okay and how you can't really listen to everybody else, you know, which brings us to that Tuello scene. You know, she's sitting out there waiting for him his call for decorum his plead for civility from her it's so exasperated like i felt for tuello like he was like you have my cell number you're sitting outside my house like like oh my god june like what the fuck you know like what are we supposed to do fair but i don't know that tuello who's just saying uh, explain that to me justify that to me serena is anyone to be talking about inappropriate behavior you are so stuck on that relationship i don't like who I, cares I, whether or I, not that's like his in motivation. my story i don't like uh, tuello okay well so. even still he plays a part in june's story here that is super important and i think he is the the one that she manages to switch over though because she never although i have to say in this episode you guys moira had a bizarre about uh, jawbreaker face. in her mouth well first yes. of all that i don't know what was up with that but then also just her like you've got to go to geneva you're gonna face him that was such the antithesis from the support group moira of like heal and let's not be doing this I was really surprised. I think it was all surface bullshit, though. I don't think she really meant any of it. She seemed angry, Mike, in that kitchen. She seemed like it. It's easy to be angry when you know it's not going to make a difference. She's Ooh. not going to Geneva and changing the ICC's mind. Even J June knew that. Like, Well, June's like, you go. <laughs> right. It's easy to be outraged when you aren't going to actually have to make any hard decisions. Being able to be the badass friend that june has wanted someone to be someone to share in her anger because it doesn't fucking matter at this point but still she I, and i appreciate that but she wasn't being the call for civility that she has been this entire time like since she brought her back to the support group she has been like calm down why do you have these yes. papers out why are you guys restoring the pot don't right. be doing that and this time it was rita who was like count me out like i loved every part of what rita was doing over there every moment with her was like fantastic but she was another call to let's keep it cool don't be get me involved i don't want to be a part of this business well, you, you know? pointed out moira was a little uneven on this episode in that she you know when she's talking about geneva she's basically saying you know you're you're like a dog with a bone stay on his ass and then later on when it's like, okay, Fred's going to be dealt back to Gilead. She's like, you know, out of sight, out of mind. That's good. Yeah, she does. She was completely okay with it. Right. I, I think it's all about, it's easy to, it's easy to have courage when it, you know it's not going to make a difference. There's no way June's going to Geneva to testify for the ICC. So it's easy for Moira to be like, that's what you got to do. Pitchforks, dogs, blah. I, I, I found it all such a false note. It was such like a patina of me being there for you, friend. Because now he's staying here, that actually makes it something where 
June could actually maybe go do something. So now she has to be back to just let it go. Just let it go because he's within actual distance. She almost just becomes like you just kind of cut her out of the conversation because it's like, well, you're you're here, there and everywhere. And but the one who I loved was Emily. She when she like leans in and she's like, what do you want? That was such a callback to that support group moment of like, let's let Emily talk. What is it that you want, Emily? And when she you know, could finally say, I want him to be afraid. I want him to be as afraid as I was. And she's like, no, you want more than that. <laughs> I was like, Emily, <laughs> gasoline on a fire. I, I had a whole problem with Moira and Luke this whole season. I, I don't particularly like them. I don't think they're good for June. I understand that they think they're coming from a, a good place in their hearts, but they haven't ever stopped to think about what actually June has been through. And you know what? I think burn it down. And I think the anger in the library, I think those are good emotions. I think they could be cathartic. I think there's something to be said for embracing your anger and working through it that way. At the very least, I don't think it's fair to say that that's the wrong way. Civility is not always the answer, not in the real world, not for when you've been through what someone like June and what Emily, you know, have been through. Now, Moira had been through it too, but for you know, enough time has passed. For whatever reason, Moira doesn't feel that anger or doesn't feel that anger anymore. That's great. I'm very happy for her. But her and Luke, not good for June. They are not giving June the support that June actually needs. They're giving June the support that they want to give to her, what they think she needs. So so June and Tuello, like, bring back to them and, and just that call. I When he was just so exasperated and sitting down on the, on the bench, and it's just like, for God's sake, what is it that I can do? I loved that all she needed him to do was listen. Just listen and give me a ride and let's go figure this out. Now, did you guys expect that she was going to be meeting with Commander Lawrence? Who did you expect to be on the other end of that ride? I mean, I expect the Commander Lawrence only because he was in the previouslys. Because they they played, they played replayed the give us 10 kids back scene from the previouslys. So I expected to see him again. And there's been some wondering and other reviewers out there of why do we even need commander lawrence this season because he hasn't done uh, something specifically important yet well and... even more than that i'm gonna say not only not only are people wondering but they're also kind of calling him out on being like this plot device where it's like anytime we need some information to go from one character to another just use commander lawrence because then he can just be the one to talk to june or talk to tuello or talk to nick or talk to lydia like he's this funny little like he's right in the middle of the circle and he can talk to everybody and move information around so we've had some people on our fa facebook group um ask questions about him like what is his deal and now we know he's he's willing to wheel and deal in lives so that makes him the perfect guy for this swap. <laughs> and, and I think I think the show did a good job of watching him rehabilitate himself back into some kind of seat of power that he could actually be someone that would be useful to June. And he had to work in you know in front of the council to to get back there again. And I think the show put the work in. So I don't know if, I don't know if it's fair to say he's like a straight you know Dusek Machina. Like there is no rehabilitation. Like he's not a, a bad guy gone good. He is Team Joseph all the way, all the time. He doesn't want to die. He has a plan, and he constantly is pivoting. I appreciate his ability to morph into the person who he needs to be in front of whomever he's standing in front of. He's the grayest gray that was 
he is the greatest Greg. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. So, well, just seeing what he did with Chicago and Nick, right? I mean, he he sells Nick on this idea of June's going to be there, you know, and then calls in an airstrike that he's like responsible for the airstrike being in there, which may also maybe kill June, you know, which he left out of his conversation with Nick. So yeah, he's definitely positioning for himself, but he's only useful to anyone. He's only useful to June. He's only useful to Nick if he does get back in that position. Previous to that, yeah, sure, no, he did good, but I'm talking about where he is now. He is all about the power. He loves to be that man on the bridge. He lives for that moment. He doesn't need to be the executioner, and he doesn't need to be the savior, but he loves the guy to have all the power to move all those little parts around, and he he was, like, living for that moment. So what do you guys think about June and Lawrence sitting there having their little back-and-forth, don't-be-a-dick kind of moments? I thought that was hilarious, actually. I mean, you know, I had to try, right, the the, the monetary policies or yes, whatever. I thought that was so hilarious. Funny. I love their relationship. I love their chemistry. I love their relationship. I love the sibling vibe. Saying to someone, Joseph, don't be a dick. That's something that's something that's a familiar thing you say to a close friend or to like a relative when, you know, like, don't embarrass me in front of this guy. Like, I got you guys in front of each other. Don't be a dick. Like, I, I loved it. I thought it was the perfect casual tone for the relationship that these guys, that these two have. It, just as him saying to her right at the end of the meeting, saying, you know, no matter what happens to Fred, it's not going to be enough for you. Both of those things, I think, show so much evidence of their very familiar relationship. I, I dare say close relationship. I think Joseph is one of June's best friends. <laughs> I definitely think that he admires her. He sees her power. I think he admires her for her power, that she she can move things around. Every time he compliments her, it's about, you haven't lost your touch. You managed to get him to do it. Like, look at you. Look at you. Look what you've managed to make happen. And he's willing to play and dance with her when there's a power move being made. There's something to that that is so, like, it's, it's the high he loves. You know, that's what he's chasing, that moment. I agree, but I think there's also a side to June he knows that she got all those kids out. He knows that he gave Nicole to Emily and stayed behind for his daughter. He knows the kindness that June showed his wife in her like darkest moments and final moments that he was even unable to give her himself. That endeared him in a more permanent way, even than the high power stakes moves that June does. I, I think I think June appeals to him a lot and earned a lot of respect for him across a large spectrum. What did you guys think about this idea that she had put forth, okay, her life wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough that the things that, that Fred and Gilead had taken from her wasn't enough compared to what Fred could give to Tuello and all of them. So now this whole idea that 22 women are here as a trade, this must be worth more than what Fred could do. Well, there was a theme in this episode, right, of the value of things. Uh, and she, she basically says that when she's sitting at the table with Moira and Moira's being all outraged. But uh, yeah, but then it comes back around again with 22 lives. Now, I mean, there is a counter argument to that, that maybe Fred's information leads to the saving of more than 22 lives. But June is putting up 22 concrete lives. And I think that's just too much. Tw 22 concrete lives that they thought were dead. We saw the interrogator with Fred going through trying to verify if women, these women that they have in these files are living or dead because they don't know. He's getting 22 living women that they had written off. 
that's pretty powerful stuff. You know, it's 22 in the hand versus an unknown number in the bush. And they'll have a certain amount of intelligence that they can bring with them. They're not commanders, but they were in the resistance. So they do know a certain amount of how the right. machine works that they were taking advantage yeah. of. Yeah, that's a good it, point. Because they do. The, right. Even if they're in the pent or whatever. Yeah, they do point out that they were a part of the resistance. And that that is an important thing to note, because I think that's that's going to go under a lot of our listeners radar at first, you know, because this first watching of it and everyone should watch it at least twice because the first one, I was missing all kind of details. I was like, how in the world did she get in touch with Lawrence without having Tuello in on it? And so then I was like on the second or third watch, we were like the embassy got them hooked up. Okay. All right. Now this right. is making more sense. But there were small moments like that or like that these 22 women, it wasn't just that they were 22 women. They were 22 women in the resistance. So they're going to have the supply lines and resources and stuff understood in a completely different way than say the kids that were gotten out. And you made Tuello face the idea of you said you're on my side. Right. If one June life isn't going to do the trick. How about 22 June-ish lives. Right. Is, is that? Right. So right. let's hit the question that is going to be brought up a thousand times. And we don't have to go for a long time on this, but we have to touch on it. What does Fred's face taste like? No. <laughs> Why doesn't she ask for Hannah? How do you not say 22 women plus <laughs> Hannah? I have a practical theory why, and then I have a plausible show reason why. We all know the show reason. It's called season five. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) My plot reason is because we know Hannah's in Colorado Springs, nowhere near where they are. We don't know the speed of travel, but coming from Colorado Springs is as long a distance as anyone has traveled on this show to where they are now in Canada or like Northern Gilead. And time is of the essence here. He's supposed to be going to Geneva. There's there's a very tight time frame for what's going to happen to Fred. They can't hold him. So they either need to actually give him back to Gilead or they need to put him on a plane or they need to bring him back to Serena. They need to do something with him. So it's plausible to me that June is making the calculation. Now is not the time to wait for Hannah to be wrested away from, and Nikki went out of his way to say last week, you know, all the guardians around her. Like she'd be impossible to steal, I think is the word he said. He'd be impossible to get to. So you'd have to get all those guardians. You'd have to get everyone on board. Then you'd have to actually physically get her from Colorado Springs, all within the time frame that they need to turn around Fred for whatever they're going to turn him around for. I think that's the plausible reason that she doesn't argue. It would gum up the works. Negotiating for Hannah in that time frame. 22 bodies now. 22 warm bodies now for Fred now. That can happen. Colorado Springs is a whole world away. That's my theory. All that makes sense. I mean, if you think about, like, they use the trains. We've only seen, like, say, like, the the milk train was one train. We saw Nick on that train earlier last season when he was going to Chicago and so I'm I thinking I'm thinking trains are probably their transcontinental right. mode of transportation. And I think those are getting blown up on occasion. So it's like Mike's saying, it's very hard to get from one place to another. Okay, but now I have to, y'all all put on your June hat though. Like you're putting on your reviewer hats and that's fantastic. But this is June who is trying to untie the lifeboat and go back because mm. she couldn't leave Hannah behind. And I'm saying how you don't even say her name Mm. at the diner with the head of the entire country sitting across from you. Even if you say, 
listen, I'm almost embarrassing myself here because of how much I know this is such a long shot, but I'm her mother and I can't not say her name at this table. I don't know that I can come up with something compelling for mother reasons. I can come up with more crap like we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we can come up with a lot and, of that. I know, and, and they were super good to say how insulated she was. And don't get me wrong, they really tried to explain that. But we all have kids. All three of us sitting here have kids. And not one of us is not saying, Joe, please. But she, if you can say, don't be a dick, how you say, please don't make it me It puts leave her my fingerprints Hannah. on the whole thing. That's, that's one thing. Partially true, I she, suppose. But okay. she also knows the price, though. She knows Joseph Price for Hannah. Joseph's price for Hannah is 10 kids. Tuello's not going to sign off on that. June is a badass businesswoman on top of everything else. She's a power broker. She's making all this happen. I understand the mother pull. This isn't about Hannah. This set piece, this end of episode 410, is not about June and Hannah. The end of 410 is about June taking Fred off the board by putting him on the fucking wall. That's what I it's agree. not about Hannah. It's all I agree about with you. That. I super agree with you, but it's always about Hannah. From season one, episode one, this is about getting Hannah back, right? So we can't, like, that's, you can't be in season four and have had a goal for four seasons and say, well, is right, that right. really the goal? Like, it is the goal. But, and, and I'm just saying, I, I'm, I, you can go in it with the idea of like, this is gonna yield nothing, but almost like you almost wanna like slip like a drawing of Hannah's to oh. Joseph or something. Like you almost, you just like not even make it, like not even make a, an inch towards it. They I'm just, just every the, Facebook person's gonna scream. I, I totally They're get that, but they, they just had that conversation though about Hannah. It was in the previously. Shows don't put, yeah, show, yeah, they don't put it right, in the previously for another reason. They wanted to remind you, by the way, you're gonna ask about Hannah. We already had this conversation. And also this is not about Hannah. Yes, it's always about Hannah, but this is about June doing the thing that she thinks she needs to do in order for her to maybe start to move on. Maybe to start to find peace. Fred represents that. So. We're showing you these previously to remind you, we've already had the conversation about what the price is. Hannah is not available at this time. She is out of stock. But Death of Fred <laughs> is on sale. We can do that. We can get you in a brand new Death of Fred car right now. You know, and I think the show did a good job. I, I'm not going to lose any sleep about the fact that she doesn't mention Hannah's name at that meeting. I totally made sense to me, given how they built the last two episodes. You even get sort of like images of like Walmart on Black Friday with that yeah. uh, Fred, Fred sale. Yeah, I mean, this what they do to Fred in the woods is I've seen people do to people on Black Friday, you know, trying to get that big TV. No, you're totally right, Caroline. It's it's just it's just like you've said, there are plot reasons like. Yeah, and it's going to be hard five, for our listeners to take. I mean, a lot of our people really, really associate, you know, the fact that we are all parents and that we all really are coming from this voice of like, what could you possibly be OK with? What can you sleep with that next can, night? Can I can I can I pose or can I role play a question, though? Because I thought about this a lot because I knew this was going to come up and I think it's a legitimate question. Let's role play it. She's sitting at the table. She's brought Tuello on one side and Joseph on the other on the other side to the table to talk about what is it going to take to get Fred, right? She says, "And Hannah, we need Fred and Hannah." What's Joseph's response? Legitimately, what's Joseph's response? At best, it's exasperation or something something ridiculous, or he gets up and is like, "You're not you're not actually here to do a deal." That's like me saying sanctions, economic sanctions, and gets up and walk away. Or names a price so outrageous that Tuello gets up and walks away. They leave the table. What happens to June's plan then? 
It, it, this is, is redundant it, because you're going to say no matter what you're going to say. I'm just saying, it's, I mean, if you Yeah, it, I mean, though, we've already talked it through. From, yeah. No, totally. Right. I mean, I, I get it. I understand. But when we talked to Bruce, he said the theme of this is motherhood. Sure. The theme of the show is motherhood. And so I just, when you have these pivotal moments and then you don't have the theme of the show screaming right there, it's right there. And everybody's like, oh, my God. I mean, maybe on the way out, Joseph says, I give you credit for not asking about Hannah. And she turns around and says, may God bless you, Joseph, and walks the fuck out. But not to even acknowledge the moment feels not quite there. Or alternately... This, I mean, this episode's kind of packed, but it is. It you, is. If you took away some of the slow mo at the end, you might be able to get just a quick where she just reconciles with herself that Hannah is too expensive to ask for right now, like Mike is saying, or you know, just something where she comes to that piece where she's not even going to bring it up, like right. like you guys are suggesting. You know, last episode she got the information. Episode before that, she got the idea that Lawrence is not trading for Hannah right now. Right. Um, all that adds up to something that she just got. She makes peace with, but she does it off camera in this episode. And we've um, seen June right. choose the lar- the greater good over Hannah before. I mean, there was a period when she was right before the exodus of the children happens, and Hannah isn't where Hannah's supposed to be. If I remember correctly, there's a moment there where she considers blowing up the entire plan to go run after Hannah and but doesn't. Mike, and sticks but to Mike, it. not without the moment, not without sure. the kicking and screaming, not without the I'm gonna untie the lifeboat, not without the crying at Luke. I didn't bring her home. I failed. She did you the crying though, with Emily in the beginning. That. Though she did her crying about a, mo- a good mother would be able to move on. That was her Hannah moment in this episode. Maybe so, and maybe that's that her, maybe that's you know for our for for those of you guys listening and those moms who are sitting there being like this is wild and I can't even process this idea. Maybe you're right. That was the moment that that Bruce was giving us. He did write this episode, and so he was giving us her guilt and her sadness and everything. And so that was her kind of realizing, like, okay, I can't do this right now. And they they even brought Emily even brought Oliver over in that moment. Uh-huh. So there was kind of like an in your face. <laughs> Yeah. mom who did get the kid yeah. you know it's, who's sitting this, there yeah the entire episode is 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 about motherhood because it's a good mother would be able to be like what Moira and luke are wanting her to be and move on and at the end she can't she needs to do this she needs to excise this devil so let's talk about the strings that do get pulled here i mean there is a variety of things that have to go down to get to exactly what happened I think June needs loads of credit for all the little small moments along the way here. So, I mean, we have Fred walking out. We have Tuello getting that phone call. Uh, that was amazing. I don't know how you guys felt about the tension of that. But I kept saying to Paul the whole time we were watching, I was like, he's not going to Geneva. He's not going to Geneva. As soon as I saw Tuello come out of the building, I was like, I don't know how this is going down. I don't know where we're going. I kept saying he was going back to Gilead. But I was like, holy crap. How is this? What is going to happen? What's going to happen? Did you guys think something more was going to happen right then? Like, I don't know, is June going to swoop up in the van and take him somewhere or something more indifferent right then? Or did you expect the whole, I mean, Joseph on the bridge, Nick coming out of the van, that whole moment was like every second I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. It was a roller coaster from that point. 
so expectations were just sort of like put on hold as as it just kept coming. I, I was genuinely shocked because when, as soon as you see Toello and after the whole scene, I expected some deal to be done. I, I expected him to go to, to Gilead. I, you know, the death of Fred was really not on my radar. You know, that's a, that's a major step for the show to take to, to pull the trigger or not pull the trigger as it turned out but um, <laughs> blow the whistle it took a lot for this show to you know blow the whistle on, on Fred <laughs> and uh, yeah so I was generally surprised I gotta tell you though I mean I have it in my notes like one of my favorite set pieces on television this year this entire back end of this episode this entire final 15 20 minutes everything from when he gets seized and 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 he starts pleading and calling him son I just wanted to punch his face like stop oh my son. god stop oh. saying son I'm not just say <laughs> something one more time you know there's a it was so, so much. And we did talk with Bruce about the moment right when, you know, Nick is pushing Fred out into the woods and then June just pops up out of nowhere. Yeah. And that wicked romantic kiss that they that they have, it's so wildly passionate. He said he gave them no no direction on that. That was all just Elizabeth Moss just doing that. It was a peck on the cheek he said he wrote. That That's what he moment, wrote that whole, what the fuck is this? I mean, it was so amazing. And well, you guys will listen to all of Bruce's reaction to that because man I, that was so so good but then just the because the betrayal over and over again for fred like it was like oh my god i'm get, getting betrayed here oh my god i'm being betrayed by joseph oh my god i'm being betrayed by nick oh my god june and nick we were in love we had a thing so freaking much you guys and then we have the big moment the huge amazing callback to when in the courtroom they say you had a choice between going to the colonies or becoming a handmaid and then june's standing there with a gun and a whistle and was like you have a choice you know and it was like yeah like any choice you're gonna die but right. here you go you said choices were oh so important so choose this was really well put together so how, good how like it and it didn't just like call back to earlier that quasi flashback you know where the sequence of stuff that fred goes through matches the don't run don't uh what was it don't scream it was don't run don't kick don't scream don't bite yes and that exact sequence of shit happens to him mm. he runs they kick him they bite him and he screams but earlier than that the uh like you're alluding to the the courtroom scene counting toward the choice that that that's being put in front of him in terms of you can die now or you can you know, roll you can the take dice. This unknown whistle that, like, you don't know <laughs> right. what's gonna happen. What's you behind know? door number two? Exactly. Right. It speaks no to idea. his hubris, though, that it never enters to him that she may have something worse than a gun. In the end, a gun probably would have been preferable to how he actually died. If Getting you had your neck him, bitten and everything. If you, had, if you had to ask him again, I'm sure he'd probably choose the gun. But it's his hubris, though, that that she oh, wouldn't do so something. Oh, he's so snotty. He's so mm. snotty. He says, "You couldn't shoot me." <gasps> I, I, what did you guys think? And and it makes his death feel so much better when he's getting hauled into the truck and he screams, "I'm a man and I have rights." It's mm. like, oh, yeah, you're gonna fucking <laughs> yeah, you get to think about all of your rights when you're swinging on that wall. Oof. You know, one thing that I had kind of harbored for a while with regarding Fred, and this may be uh, lingering from more of Fred as he existed in the book and and to an extent the movie Robert Duvall's version. But I always had in the back of my mind that Fred thought Gilead and all this was great fun, but he knew it was all bullshit, you know? Okay. But him going down the way he did, 
I think he was a true believer as it comes around. Like he didn't crack. He didn't he like he he kept up thinking that this special weird romance that he had with June was a real thing. That's why the kiss took him so off guard, you yeah. know? And he didn't know he obviously didn't know that Nick even played into anything at any point in time. Right. Son. Son, what are we doing, son? Right, yeah, exactly. If he was your son, you probably wouldn't be in this position. What did you think of the Dog and Pony show? The the rehearsed Joseph and Nick the soft oh, shoe dance good. that they do that's some good stuff that gets going on there <laughs> like would it would it matter if i object and he's like no sir the eyes have control of the border yeah. that whole part fortunately but you, the eyes but you know what it told control. me though i also wondered for a second if remember they had said it twice twice they had said fred's information has completely reordered the information we had about like who had control over different things like the hierarchy of commanders which it was like so interesting to me because it was like they like followed that through like mm -hmm. we must follow the hierarchy now fred because mm. and that was like completely revealed that yeah fred's over there talking like a minor bird telling everything you know right i think they keep it cloudy the idea of what commander actually means and you know who's yeah. in charge of what exactly like military versus security versus police or whatever but right. we we do know that nick came up through the eyes that was his right thing. Yeah. and seems to remain with them right because he's acting mm -hmm. in the eyes capacity so yeah he's a commander but he's a different kind of commander than like joseph or fred are commanders like he's a commander in a different division of gilead government mm -hmm. uh, is, is how and he has them it. over a barrel there's nothing that anyone can do fred yeah. I was like, oh, no, I thought it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I, I hope that everybody was squinting in the crowd to realize that Emily was there. It appeared to be a lot of the support group women. Moira was not there. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I'm going to maintain that she didn't give Moira any option to be there, that when she looks back before she heads out in the car and there's Moira and Luke and the baby, she wants to remain them intact and without any cause to think that Moira was a part of this at all. So she doesn't Man, want to mess that up. You have a nicer take than I do. but I'll, I know. I'll you're going to say something totally off the wall. Paul, do you have an idea about this one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Just when she was looking back in the window. And I said it last week. Like to, to When she had Nicole with Nick, she was mom. But otherwise, in Toronto with Luke and Moira, she's basically aunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, which is a weird term to use because of ant in our hands. It's loaded. Book. But you're right. You know, I actually thought, you know, so much so that when they were standing in the kitchen and Luke, Luke came in and the baby started crying and he goes, I'll go get her. And she said, thanks. I thought that was so out of place for her to say thanks as if it was ever anyone there thought she was going to go get the baby <laughs> or that that was like her normal job. Like I was right, like, right. why did she say thanks for it? I, like, sh I should try that next time we're at a, at a person's <laughs> house that has a baby. If they, oh, I've got to go get the baby. I'll say thanks. thanks. Just, like, yeah. I, like, yeah. Well, yeah, I was never going to get up to go get that baby, but okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to look at me. So Thank God. Weird. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, no, all right, but, Mike. Uh, so why do you think Moira is MIA? I, well, I, I mean, I think there's something too. I mean, she takes that long look back at the house and she's Moira and Luke and, and Nicole in the window. You know, that's the family. That's the family and they all belong together. They are all on the same page as to what the kind of life that they need to be living. They're moving on. They're making jokes about going back to Boston one day. They're living in their own little Canadian world. June is on a different path. 
this was not an event for Moira to attend. This was only available to the ladies who bought into the anger in the library circle for the ex-handmaids that had anger that they needed to excise. So, yes, I think there's a part of it where Moira and Luke and Nicole are the family unit now. She is like the aunt or the the TT if we don't want to use, you know, aunt. Uh, TT. That's a, that's a, that's an acceptable name for aunt. That I think is true, but I think it was more about uh, Moira wasn't invited to this party because Moira would try to sour it. She would say, "Let's not kill him. Let's not put him on the wall. Let's let Gilead justice, you know, out of sight, out of mind." She would have just stayed that way. This wasn't for her. This was an anger party for the people who needed to excise their demons via anger and and yeah. take that out. That's that, that's what it was more about. Give your smallest detail that you thought was really clever, Paul. I know you had one about how the cars were. Oh, yeah, this is a small detail, but when the women were leaving, they all had backed in to their parking spots. Uh, you do that not because you want to show off to all the other drivers how great a parker you are, but you do that because you might need to leave fast. And if everyone is backed into their parking spots, you can go in a snap. Whereas if everybody has to K-turn out of your spots, <laughs> it's a whole other thing, you know? It definitely implied a, like, a I had this, like, yeah. well, and, like, a team sport is, like, what I kept kept thinking. I kept thinking the way they walked out of the woods was, like, the way you, you walk off the field when you've, like, given it your all. Like, you left it all on the field. You left it all in the woods, yeah. you know? And it was, like, it was, like, that feeling of, like, everyone leaving the parking lot at the end, like, just tired and dirty right. and, and just disheveled. And Spent. there was, like, this victory but like exhaustion you know yeah what was a small detail you liked mike there's a twitter handle it's called like or it's a twitter hashtag that goes around called one perfect shot where people put like a single frame of a movie and, and like they they say it's just a one perfect shot for me there's an overhead shot as right before they end the scene where all the lamps are turned inwards and you see the motion of the gaggle in the center beating on fred but just the way it's an overhead, a directly overhead shot with the light in the circle coming in, I thought it was just beautiful. I thought it was just a just a one perfect shot uh, of, of television. So my small moment, you guys, I know because you guys heard my interview with Bruce, you're going to think it's the biting. I know y'all are. But it's not that. It's actually when she very quietly goes, run. Yeah. And it's both. not big and it's not yelling. It's just so like... It's go time. <laughs> Get on with it. You know you're I gonna do it. love it. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. An amazing delivery. I, I mean, I think I think we can't overlook the use of "You don't own me," which they hold, they hold, and they hold, and they hold, and it's not until she takes that and then gets to beating him that they kick in the "You don't own me" song. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was a great use of music at just the exact right time. So. You didn't do what I thought you were gonna do because you didn't do what June did. You breathe in like that, but then she exhales and she yeah. exhales hard. Yeah. And it's like the first time it's a cleansing you've breath. seen her actually just be like, and I'm getting it all out. You I'm know, free. like this is the moment, you know? Yeah. Amazing, you guys. I think that this episode is gonna blow a lot of minds. It's so much. We have these last two scenes with, you know, June heading back and getting Nicole out of the crib. June in her red coat and Nicole all in pink and getting that Fred blood all over the baby, which I got to say when I mentioned to Bruce and I said that he kind of like there was like this pause that made me be like, oh, 
is Fred's blood also in Nicole? <laughs> I'm worried. But Luke's face, guys, what do you think? You guys you guys are, are, are men who have had relationships uh, probably with women who do things that you'd wish they didn't. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I've been trying to figure out exactly where June stands now. And on the rewatch, I got all the wording now. And that she intends to leave kind of tells me that I think we're looking at fugitive June at this point rather than just like, well, you're too violent to live at home, June. But we're still going to try to act like you didn't come in covered with blood. Because I was entertaining that idea for a while. Uh, but I don't think so. I, I think shit's going to blow up and we're looking at Fugitive June and Luke's just realizing all that because we were coming up with some headcanon stuff like did he catch the news or <laughs> you know some some shit before he came in the room and I don't think he got to if your wife is just covered in blood <laughs> after well, she's been missing all night well and not only that but also the after the last real conversation you had with her she was like I'm gonna put Fred on the wall and you know I want him to be to be uh, so afraid you know I want him to be afraid to death you know all that stuff i mean and then you, you see her next and she's covered in blood and she's like sorry and she's got <laughs> skin in her teeth that she's picking oh, up yikes so. so mike what did you think what's the what's the what's the husband response to that i mean he she says i know i'm sorry just give me five minutes just give me five minutes with her and then i'll go and he doesn't really say much of anything after seeing her like he's kind of clearing his eyes and after actually seeing her he doesn't speak again he just kind of slides down the wall I don't think it's Fugitive June. I don't think anyone in Toronto is going to be looking for June. I think it was she knows she can't stay there because she's crossed a line that Luke can't live with. And she's committed to being a June that Luke and by extension Moira and by extension the baby and Rita can't abide. Whether or not it was an off-screen conversation or... It was just an unspoken understanding between them. He knew what she did, and she knew that she couldn't remain there anymore. She had already said goodbye. I think that's what that long look was about, was them, it was her saying goodbye. This was more like a P.S., I just need to see the baby one more time, and then I'll go. So I don't think it's Fugitive June as much as she understands, from Luke's point of view, she can't be there anymore. That she's too far around the bend from what he thinks is acceptable in civilized society. What do you think, Caroline? I think some part of me maybe was surprised that he, I mean, I know he was in shock. So let me say that first. I feel like he was in absolute shock. But when she said, and then I'll go, he hasn't seen her in seven years. And he spent all that time, in theory, trying to get her and Hannah back. And so some part of in me, if I'm, if I'm Luke. In theory. He showed all of his documents, sir. When, I, when my back's going against the wall and she's saying, I'm going to leave again. I mean, I'm just talking my own heart and I'm talking about this is this is the person that I have been crying for for all these years that, that was ripped out of my own physical arms. I think I want to be like, don't go. You know, like we can figure this out. And I understand that this is like a clear for, I'm just speaking for myself. I'm clearly someone who doesn't know when to let things go. But there's a part that's like, I would want to cling on and say, just like, wait, just take a shower. Just wait, just talk to me. Just wait. What am I supposed to do with your baby? <laughs> like, wait, like, wait. That's what I would do where I Luke, where you would I what? you. What were you? Uh, what? I, I would also want to 
figure it out, you know. Like you would be like, what did you say? What did what happened or what? No, actually, the less you tell me about whatever this <laughs> bloody mess is, the better. <laughs> but, you know, we can we can probably figure it out. Uh, I'll say you're home the whole night, shit like that. I guess I just don't understand the fugitive angle because who's looking for her in Toronto? Well, I don't think the women crossed over to Gilead to kill him. He's on the wall somewhere. I mean, his body's not in Toronto. I think his body is back in Gilead. He crossed that bridge was that bridge was Gilead though. He's not going to be found in Gilead. I I don't know anyone's looking for June in Toronto. Even still, like whatever is propelling her to have that moment of saying like I'll leave, I'll go, I, I right. won't, I'll leave. I mean, I don't know, Mike White. I mean, do you do you get what I'm saying about that whole kind of moment of like, I, I don't do. know, if I'm Luke, I would be like, wait, you just got here. Like, how can I let you go again? I totally do. I totally do. But I, I'm looking at it from the Luke that we have seen in the show, where the only thing he says is act normal, move on, don't be this way. If yeah, you, but that go changes at, it. I'm asking you, you. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm well, saying, I like, say, I mean. There was a great scene that we, when Emily and June are talking about what do you want to do to him? How scared do you want him to be? That's a great scene between Emily and June. But take a look in the background, and it's all out of focus because they, they, they rack focus to June and Emily. Luke stops. He's, like, like drying a dish or some kind of cup or something, and he stops and he turns. He's listening to their conversation about what they're going to do to Fred. Luke knows, you know, the same way Paul said, like, you come home covered in blood in the, after being out all night kind of thing. He may not know the details, but he knows what I would do. I mean, I would have not been telling her let it go the entire time. I would have been like, let's go beat some shit up, and I would have been her wheel man. I would have, I would have been, you know, holding a lantern in the woods with her. I wouldn't. That's how I would have rolled. So yeah, I mean, I would have blood on me too. We would both be holding the bloody baby. <laughs> I'd be like counting Fred teeth, like be like, that was a good oh, haul, like you no. know, like I wouldn't have. She wouldn't have had to go kill him by herself so this is all i mean again for listeners and and i know bruce has been such a wonderful wonderful guy to have listened in on our various podcasts so if you're listening bruce and you're like you guys <laughs> your writing was beautiful bruce and this was absolutely consistent and true to luke and what he has been going yes. through as a character and i think that that's key and where you were going mike was saying but this is how Luke is trying to take it. And yeah. and again, I think they did a really beautiful job of sticking with Tuello and Luke and Moira to an extent, but Rita too, where they were trying to hang on to their humanity. They were trying to hang on to, despite the fact that the whole world's crumbling, I'm calling for decorum. I'm calling for, because we respect each other and we have a civilized world, we, we discuss things, we talk to each other, we don't lash out at each other that person needs to exist in this story because otherwise you forget that no we're all trying to shoot back to the society where no one's killing each other right and that's you know? a, and there's a human condition there too also right and and that's how in my head that's how i explain how moira behaves and, and certainly luke who never went through any of that kind of stuff in gilead people don't really want to focus on negative things if it's not directly in front of them I completely understand where Moira and Luke and Rita, who are now out and have been out for a long time and, and have been able to adjust to normal life. They could go to the supermarket and not have PTSD-like episodes. They don't want to necessarily be reminded of that. And I think people like June and Emily, they're still needing to revisit it and embrace it and, and work through it. 
And so I think it's a very real human reaction. I think I think how everyone is reacting in this episode and really all season is pretty authentic for human types that we all know when it comes to crisis things. I think it was a great season. I, I, I know some people thought the season was a little boring. I think this was a great, great season. I um, You know, people were saying that it was slow, and I actually had said to Paul <laughs> that I thought it was we spent actually a short periods of time in different places. We could have been on that train for like three episodes. We certainly could have spent two or three episodes with Steven and the BJs longer than we did. Just given we were always comparing this to walking dead. And it seems like you always mm -hmm. have to spend time with these different survival groups. We barely touched on the night Hawks and like, who were they? We could have ended up living with them for a well, while. If you think like about like the television production aspect of, of it. Like the first step, the first season was pretty much all in the Waterford's house. Yeah. Right? This, if you think about it in those same terms, because you know we all think about things in terms of set decoration around here, the first what five or six episodes, each one has a different, a completely different set, right? I mean, there's like the train car, and then there's yeah. um, Chicago, and then there's yeah. uh, like. How is that not a fast-moving right. season? This was the most we have seen of the North American continent since the show began. I mean, we were we we made our we made our way in one way to the Midwest, in another way we've made our way all the way to Colorado Springs. Like, you know, you play like a video game and like the map kind of reveals itself. It goes from cloudy to like revealing itself as you enter like a new land. I feel like the map got filled in a lot on this season, and huge plot developments. Fred Waterford is dead, y'all. Like, yeah. that's huge. Think about that. Who who had uh, in Vegas end of season four, Fred is dead? Yeah. Well, it's, if any point during this season, who would have said Fred's dead at the end of this? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, this was, I, there could have been so much more time spent milking this storyline. And that's why when people are saying it's going slow, I'm like, what are you talking about? We could have been milking a lot of these situations a lot longer if we if we wanted to. Um, if or if they had pledged to have a slower, you know, run for the entire season, but I thought we moved fast and furious. And man, I mean, Fred's dead. I didn't, on that I didn't wall. see Fred dying, but I have always stood by that this is a women's story. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that at the end of all this, whatever that is, the Titanic battle has got to be woman on woman not a man boogeyman right does that make sense okay yeah okay so ultimately it's got to be june versus serena joy huh does that make sense yeah no it totally does and i could definitely see joseph getting killed nick getting killed and luke getting killed all in the line of trying to do something for for the situation you know i could definitely you, see that do you guys subscribe to the theory that janine is going to become an aunt I don't really care about that. That sounds weird to say, but like I'm okay with her being a handmaid provided if she's like taking over that role of starting to like rally the troops at that level. Like I don't know if I need her to be an aunt. I do like that though. I, well, I think the idea is: does she become a rebel rouser, or does she become an aunt Lydia? Does she? Does she? Does oh the, does, no. the, does the approval that she is getting from like Lydia, like she was able to like turn Emily? No. No, uh, you don't think so, Esther. Think no, Esther. No, Esther. No, I no, I wholeheartedly disagree with any idea of that. No, I think that I think that she is sly as a fox as well. I think the entire season has been telling us, don't underestimate her. That she's got a plan in mind. I don't think she's going to the dark side. I don't I think she's turning so. into Lydia. I certainly hope so. It would break my heart if she did. I don't see that at all. I think that they did a great job of showing her backstory with Caleb and just who she's been over all these seasons. I, I that. Mm -mm. 
It Apollo, was crazy. I don't know. It was crazy to me that it was not until season four that we got that backstory on her. Like I didn't realize it until I until I saw it. And I was like, oh my god, you know, she's been such an, an important character that they've held off so long for. On the other hand, if she did become a, an aunt, a bad aunt, like right. Aunt Lydia, mean. Bad no, 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 no. I don't think. I don't think she. I don't. No, no. But she doesn't want to be a handmaid. She doesn't want to be placed in that position of giving up her babies. No, know? of course, of course. So. Ah, uh, it's tough, but I, I, I could see how she could turn that to her advantage, being an aunt. And, yeah. and the idea that, like you mentioned earlier, that every character's primary focus is survival, that's plausible. I th I mean, we talked a lot about this in the last episode in terms of like um, that Janine has shown her usefulness and has been doing such a great job of being like a diplomat with Lydia and really, you know, showing that she has a skill set um, and going back to Steven and everything, going back to, you know, making sure that she could say like, okay, hang on, you know, June's an important person and June, you could talk nicer to Steven. And like, she was like mending fences all over the place. So I don't know. I, I think that she has an interesting storyline. Lydia certainly, I mean, she hasn't been touched in these last couple of episodes in a way that she has previously. So I, I think her storyline, I know there's a lot going on moving forward for season five for her. She, it seems to me like they're setting up a really good base though with Esther, Janine, Lydia, Joseph, Nick, all in Gilead. There's still a lot of people we care about over there and what their storylines are. They're doing good in us still caring about them. I feel like it wouldn't be a podcast with you guys if I didn't bring up one kind of religious thing. And in uh, <laughs> the same, you know, I want to put them on the wall right before she says that in the car, she says they can have meaning the people or, or Gilead or the people who like the Waterfords in Toronto. She says they could have Fred the Redeemer, which is a Christ the Redeemer illusion. And then he winds up dead and hanging, not crucified, but certainly suspended above the, you know, in the air dead at the end of this episode. I wonder, there's a part of me that wonders if his death is going to have some kind of died for his sins ramification, either for Gilead or for supporters of that cause or some other unintended consequence that maybe June and Nick and Joseph didn't really think about beforehand. Oh, I was flirting with that idea that you worked out your demon and you created a martyr at the same time. Right. Kind of right. Thing. We know Joseph was on board with making this deal. We didn't actually see the council deliberation about whether or not they were cool with, you know, sacrificing Fred. Presumably he acted with their authority, but we don't yeah, we don't know with the Waterford's newfound celebrity what his death when it if it gets known or widely circulated with It certainly happen. also puts Serena Joy in the position of like this widower, you know, whole situation. Well, she's the widow, though, but so so she's to be untouched. Right. You know, no one can be mad at her. She's the widow with a baby and all like that. I mean, talk about like saintly. Yeah. You yeah. can see where this is not going to work out the way June thought it was going to. Like Joseph told her, though, at the end of their meeting, this won't be enough. This isn't going to be like the what you want to happen is not going to happen, June. Everything that Joseph said to her this entire season of just try to be happy if you can, be grateful if you can, move on with your life if you can, you know, all that kind of stuff has been like, oh, I don't know where we're going to see June next season, you guys. Where where do we see her? Like episode one, season five, is she like in an apartment by herself somewhere in Toronto? Like what the heck? Is she on the run with Emily? Like doing something? Like where, where, what is our prediction? Making her way to the Air Force in Colorado Springs. How? Mm. Nick, she's going like train. she's gonna go meet with Nick and get on a train somewhere. 
maybe she's going to go back into service as a handmaid, but get herself stationed in Colorado. What? Get herself no. How else can what what easier way to get herself stationed in Colorado Springs? No, I have zero predictions of her back in a red dress. I don't think back in a red dress, but I think I think that maybe she goes back into the service, get a haircut, a new color, maybe some other kind of modification. No one really knows her in Colorado Springs, right? And they may know the name June or Juno. You know, they may know Alfred, but. They don't necessarily know what she looks like. Because remember, remember what Nick said about all the guardians around Hannah being impossible to steal her. So she's going to have to work her way from the inside out like she's done so many times. New strings to pull. New puppets to master. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you, you said it earlier. Season five, Hannah. It's all Hannah. It's got to be all be. Hannah all the time. Be. Not without my be. daughter. Oh, absolutely. Well, you guys, please stay tuned for our interview with Bruce Miller. He was fantastic. He gave us so much of his time, super generous in discussing all these scenes that we just basically touched on. And he went so much deeper with us. So we appreciate his time. And here's Bruce. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Right off the bat, I think we have to jump right to the end of the episode of the finale because it seems like Commander Waterford is very, very, very dead. And we need to know all about this major plot development. How did you and the rest of the writers come up with the decision to kill Fred at the end of the season? And was this always the plan? It always seemed like the inevitable end for June if she got what she wanted. You know, uh, if she ever got a clear shot at it, it just seemed like at a base level, you know, uh, it's absolutely been the fantasy she's been entertaining and her sense of justice. And I think like so many other things on the show, she definitely feels like, oh, as soon as this happens, everything will be fine. You know, like as soon as I get out of Gilead, as soon as I reunite with Luke, as soon as I. So I think that it is definitely a huge marker. And we've been talking about that since the beginning. Um, Joe Fines reminded me that I mentioned it to him at the end of a meeting we had at like season one or two that, you know, eventually Fred ain't going to have such a good season. And uh, <laughs> that, that uh, you know, because he was saying how nice it was that I mentioned it so early that I didn't even remember that I had mentioned it that early. But we, we had been thinking about this for a very, very long time, or I've been thinking about it for a long time. What I always like to do at the end of a season or end of an episode, but at the end of the season is you really want to finish one story and start another one so that you really finish one, a satisfying end, but a really intriguing beginning. And in some ways, June committing murder out of vengeance is perfect because it's the end of that story and the beginning of a whole lifetime of what did I do? So it's a good finale piece. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, Bruce, this is just between me and you and no one else could know. I'm a biter. So when you gave her permission <laughs> to bite, I was like, yes. I was like, this is my dream come true. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, it was amazing. It was um, honestly, you know, the, this season was so strange because so much of it was made independent of me. You know, I've been working on the show. I've been on set the entire first three seasons and I was on not on set at all in the fourth season. Wow. Um, they made the show without me. I was there on video when I could be and I did all my writing and post-production, but normally I'm on set and I wasn't there. So a lot of those decisions that they made were, were decisions that they made and they decided to do it and they shot it that way and they never spoke to me about it. Lizzie was up there and she's an executive producer and a, and a director this year and a star as the, the number one of the call sheet. And she's perfectly capable of making... Uh, those decisions and I don't like to butt in when I 
don't have to. There's a lot of opportunity for me to make another decision in post-production. So I, I don't really have to say, don't do this. But all of that kind of uh, descent into biting and, and how exactly <laughs> that choreography worked was, was, was them. And really, it's a testament to not just those guys, but the amount of work that goes in that isn't in the moment. You have to mm-hmm. decide what you're going to do, you know, a month ahead of time. So the so the uh, stunt people can work out every single movement. So there's no vibrancy in the moment. You have to come up with all that vibrancy before. And then in the moment, everybody is in a normal situation, super careful, but in COVID even more careful. So it was uh, the visceral aspect of it was incredibly carefully planned and very well executed by my wonderful cast and crew up in Toronto uh, while I watched and applauded. I got to say, COVID's put a real damper on the biting movement around here. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So what does this mean for Joe Fiennes? Can we expect to see him at next season in flashbacks or any other capacity? Oh, absolutely. Um, I couldn't let go of Joe. I I know Fred is the horrible person and, uh, you know, a difficult character to play to the point where Joe is so lovely and kind and it just wears on him. And, and, you know, he shaves that beard off immediately. As soon as the season ends, he wants to be rid of Fred and all of the actors on the show. We, we have a very, a lovely, hardworking, decent bunch and they do rough work and they, they take it home because they are, good-hearted human beings. So I think for Joe, there's a little bit of relief on my side that that won't be putting him through that as much, but I would never let Joe go. So I think we will be seeing Commander Fred in flashbacks, if only because I want to see Joe and, and Yvonne together again and all those kind of things. But yes, I think that Fred certainly looms large in the minds of all these people. And the way we decide on flashbacks is what is June or somebody else you know, remembering from the past? And certainly Fred would count on a lot of people's past reel of uh, things that they regret or things that... <laughs> Right. He's on everyone's highlights reel. He's on everybody's (laughs) low light reel. Yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're gag reel, literally. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, we are super impressed that you have managed to keep this death such a great secret because most of the time there's information within the industry. Oh, that actor's let go of that contract or whatever, you know, the moving mm-hmm. on to another show, things are like that. So hugely impressive. Is that, was that something that was really challenging? Yeah, I think it is challenging in this day and age because I think that, that in, in a way, you know, spoilers have kind of fallen into the responsibility of the watcher, not, not me, because there's information out there about everything. If you want to dig, hard enough if you want to you know if you want to poke around and you know all that kind of stuff so yeah i mean i think there's a combination of things i think on the one hand we treated it like a very quiet thing that was going to happen on the show and i've been on shows before where you've done big character things and you know issue the page as part of the script and you know you do all those things to hide it but it was very much kind of a an intelligence operation by hulu and mgm and and disney and those people more than me they really kept it out of the press and i think you can only do that with a certain amount of kind of cooperation from the people in the press and the people who are curious about the things that they want to preserve the fun of the show so it certainly wasn't us alone i think our community is nicely committed to not ruining the show for other people very kindly committed i think they go out of their way especially on a show that it's on over a bunch of weeks so you know some people watch it on wednesday some people don't watch it for five years but still i think we're benefiting from the fact that kind of spoiler culture has matured a little bit and the other thing that we're benefiting from this year honestly is exactly what you said which is 
it was such a chaotic year. Nobody noticed what, what Joe <laughs> Fiennes' next year looked like. So yeah. uh, that was helpful, you know. Well, staying at the end of the episode, let's talk about that final scene that you mentioned now that June has committed murder. And, you know, Emily's an old hand at murder these days. But um, what does this it mean? It strange for Rory Gilmore, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, Rory. What has, it's all the same universe. That's, yeah. What happened to poor Rory? I don't know. She got real off track in the year of the life. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, maybe on track. <laughs> yeah, good call. Right, right on track, yeah. <laughs> what does this mean, though, thematically for her character uh, moving forward? Does this change how she operates? A lot of it is a question of the central conflict of the show, which has always been June versus Offred. Because, you know, at the beginning of the show, June was living inside Offred's head and surviving in Gilead. And a lot of the show was about June saying, oh, God, let's flirt with the driver. And Offred saying, don't flirt with, you're going to get your head cut off. Don't flirt with it. So it was all those guys <laughs> fighting with each other. Now it's Offred saying, let's kill the f- motherfucker. Let's kill the commander. <laughs> and June saying, no, 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 I have this life. So I think that that conflict is central to the show. And it's always been central to the show and it will continue to be. But I think for, for me, there's been so much this year, both for June and for the audience, of things you've always wanted to happen. And, and then you get to see, well, what happens after what you've always wanted to happen, which is not really normally the story in TV or film. You you know, you know get the thing you've always wanted and the show stops and the story stops. But here, June is burdened with all the things that she gets. She gets out of Gilead, but she also leaves all those people behind. Of course you are. And so I think that the story we're trying to tell, honestly, is about long fights and long, hard fights that the only thing that keeps you going is the idea that maybe things will be better for the next generation or the generation after that. Because I think that it's something we're not super good at, but it's something that we've had to start looking at, especially in our country, you know, just getting someone out of the White House or just, you know, getting a vaccine doesn't mean the world snaps back to normal. It's a long fight. So when she comes out of the woods the next morning, though, is is Offred in June, are they in balance? Is, is she at peace at that moment? I want to know what color coat is she wearing, Bruce? We've noticed red when she's offered and navy blue when she's June. So what's up? What coat is she wearing? A lot of that is, honestly, a lot of that is from our research about refugees. And also the fact that a surprising number of refugees don't go to therapy. A surprising number of refugees always gravitate towards the color they were forced to wear. Always, always, always. Forever. The rest of their life, even when they don't want to. It's identity. It's who they think they are. And it's also safety. I mean, if you were in a position where if you ever looked in the mirror and caught yourself not in red, you'd realize you were going to be punished. You'd wear red just so you don't do that. So your anxiety doesn't flame for no reason. So it's unconscious. But yes, a lot of those things are things that... All of our research about June has been research about refugees in the modern world and refugees in the past. I mean, that's what she is. She's a survivor of sexual trauma. So, yes, she's wearing red. And I think that probably if you said you're wearing red, she'd go, really? You know, but yeah, you know, she'd go, this isn't red. This is, oh, my God, it's red. Uh, (laughs) But I think that uh, where she is at the end, we get when she walks out of the woods, I think there's a feeling of kind of ecstasy, this feeling of I've done this huge thing that I've always wanted to do. But in a lot of ways, it's the same as finally being able to say the mean thing to the bully. How do you feel after that? You know, in this case, it's even more attractable. So I think a lot of the episode after after Fred is about her settling into a realization about what she's become and what she's lost or what she feels like she might have lost at that point. That she's crossed some river and turned from mom into 
Offred, and Offred's going to be Offred forever. And there's no room to be mom or wife or anything else. There's only room to be a woman avenging, avenging Offred's wrongs. And is that what you want to do with the rest of your days? So I think at the very end of the episode, besides that amazing shot that Liz Garbus did of, of Fred in the woods, is June five minutes from a reckoning. She says, I just want five minutes. So whatever you are worried she's going to have to deal with or wherever you think she is mentally, we're five minutes from that. <laughs> I like you said, confront the bully. I was thinking, bite the bully. <laughs> yeah, bite the bully. Yeah, <laughs> when you finally get to bite them. Yeah, it's just a trail of bitten bullies in Caroline's wake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just always wondered whether she, whatever she bit off Fred, do you spit it or swallow it? Oh, shit. I think in that case, I think I'd spit on that one, but God. I know, but God, it's like, do you want to own it forever? I mean, good God. It's Ooh. so psychologically right? basic, all of those you things like that you, you know. Him. You're right, exactly. And so when you have Fred and June, and you also have Offglen there, you have Emily there, but you also have Alexis and Joe and Lizzie, three actors who know each other very well and trust each other very much. So, you know, it would be the very kind Joe Fine saying, do you think you might swallow it? <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, you know, what have I done to this? these people? But, but they're all just staying around, kind of having their normal, drinking coffee, you know, talking about what we're going to do this. It's amazing. And because they are so professional and collegial and respectful of each other, those conversations are just their conversations that they have. And looking in from the outside, all you think is, wow, I have a weird job. My, I work in a weird business. They're sitting around here, normal discussion, but, 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 you know, so, you know, it's the Shakespeare love guy and it's, you know, Rory Gilmore and it's, you know, Peggy talking about whether they should swallow someone's face. Okay. <laughs> Right, setting down their Starbucks, like let's let's yes, start the hunt. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yes, no, exactly. And it's so working at you wouldn't believe it. And wonderful. So they the fact that they don't have to bring all that intensity home is a miracle. I don't know how they do it, but it really is a to see them do it in real life, to see Lizzie, you know, turn from director to actor or turn from crazed person to I'm gonna go to the bathroom and I'll be back in a second. You know, it's like it's just you forget that it's their job. You know. Oh my gosh, she's like, I will kill you right after I get to the bathroom. No, no, exactly. And Lizzie always has to say to me because when I see the footage, I see my friend Lizzie, and I'm very happy and proud to call her my friend. But she looks upset to me. I mean, she's good enough that she looks upset. She always has to say, you know, this is, I'm pretending to be sad. I'm actually not (laughs) sad. It's my job to like pretend to be sad when I'm not sad to make you feel sad, but that's not real. She has to like explain acting to me a hundred (laughs) times because you get so upset watching her do it. Alexis is worse because I always feel like crying whenever Alexis cries. Oh my gosh. You know, speaking of someone who had the best upset line we have heard in TV, I think maybe forever when June comes running down that hill and lays that big old kiss on Nick right in front of Fred. And he goes, (laughs) what the fuck is this? (laughs) I was like, oh my God, Bruce, you are brilliant. That was so amazing. Tell so us about strange, that. yeah. Well, I, honestly, you know, you know, you write those scenes and I wrote that scene and but I wrote June gives him a kiss. What they do with that, if you realize how much they add to that, how much Lizzie and Joe and Max add to that moment, because in the script it's very spare. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, he she touches his cheek. She does this. She does that. I mean, some people do that, but I don't choreograph. And so what they put in that kiss, 
the difference between a peck on the cheek and a smoochy smooch like she gave him is a huge difference in story. I do leave that to them. That's where they get to play and stuff. And so when I saw it, I was like, ooh, they decided to really kiss. But I didn't know that going in, you don't want to corral them in. You want them to be able to push a little bit because if I'm telling Lizzie and Max and Joe what to do, I'm not taking advice from Elizabeth Moss, Joseph Fiennes, and Max Minghella, and I'm a fucking moron. (laughs) So, you know, let them do their job. Let them add to it by not prescribing so much, giving them an area like, okay, they're going to kiss. What does that mean? Well, it turned into this really creepy, great moment and a great moment from Joe. You know, um, it it was was so so realistic. It was great. (laughs) It was like almost cracked. He was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, what are, you're trying to do is as you take them out in the woods, you're reducing everybody down to their basic. At some point, everybody turns into their seventh grade self. <laughs> <laughs> that makes total sense. Well, with Fred's death, there seems to be an open pathway for what looks like a budding something between Tuello and, and Serena Joy. If she just had if he just hadn't been so instrumental in murdering her husband, they probably, you know, that tends to <laughs> that tends to sour a relationship, you know. But he's, but he's not gonna bring that up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just Maybe awkward. We'll get, it's awkward. Yeah. We'll get a Serena moment where she goes, What the fuck? Oh my we'll gosh. Um, yes. So go on. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, yes, well, the wonderful Sam Yeager and and the breathtaking, hilarious Yvonne Strahovski. I don't know if you've ever the difference between Serena and Yvonne is almost as much as Fred and you know <laughs> we, we Joe, and almost as much as Ann Dowd. Yeah, on the Facebook page, who who post her her non Serena photos. So yes, she is striking. I think didn't she do a uh, a rap battle or something? Uh, I forget, but it was. Oh, it was, I think they did a dance off a few times. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's just that that she's funny, like a hilarious big personality person, and also can play Serena so buttoned up. But both of the women look like Grace Kelly. So it's you've got the one woman, Serena, who's horrible and she looks like an angel. And then you've got this other woman, Yvonne, who's hilarious and completely bawdy and, you know, all this kind of stuff and also looks like Grace Kelly. Neither of them make any sense when you're trying to have a conversation with the poor woman. She's just the most lovely, normal human, but she looks like she's from heaven. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I know we're almost out of time with you, but I want to get to that last, last, last moment between Luke and June when she returns to the house and, oh, my God, gets Fred blood on baby Nicole. That was a moment. (laughs) I think everyone across the the world went, oh, Fred blood on the baby. (laughs) I know. Anybody who's ever had a baby, you're like, oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) So what was that silent, knowing conversation between Luke and June? What are we seeing there? I try to think about those things very, very basically. You know, if Paul and I are Luke, you hear kind of noise early in the morning, your kid's getting up, and she was awake, so he was probably half awake anyway. Um, I know you guys have a a couple of kids, three kids, I think you're probably up early every morning. And so, uh, you know, you hear that noise, and he kind of walks in, and what he sees instead of his daughter sitting in her crib is his wife, who he hasn't seen all night, covered in blood, holding his daughter. Just that, even if you didn't know anything else, that is so complicated, knowing kind of what their relationship is. What You know, you have no, and, and I think even when he starts to realize what might have happened, 
he's thinking on a very basic level, oh, my wife just murdered someone and she's home holding it. I mean, even if you don't think of any of the, the background of assault and damage and what this does to their relationship and trauma and all of those things, just that, his whole life has changed. And so I was, you know, looking for, you know, I was trying to steal the end from in the bedroom when it's uh, Tom Wilkinson and, and Sissy Spacek and Tom Wilkinson goes off and commits murder and then comes home and just crawls into bed. And it's just this very normal moment when you're looking at another person and realize everything that's connected you, everything about that person, everything about your relationship has changed. And yet you're standing in such a normal situation. It's just, she's just taking the baby out of the crib. So that's that what very, I was trying uh, to do. That was a very Mrs. Keys June sitch too. The climbing in bed post murder. Oh my gosh. Yes. That was, uh, <laughs> and, and McKenna Grace, who is, She's so good, but she's such a professional and also a nice kid, a nice, normal. She's just a very serious actress and she's very good at it, but she's lovely. And to see her and Lizzie together, because Lizzie was a serious actor at that age. And there's not too many people who are. It was it was like watching someone pass a torch from one person to another. All the information that Lizzie was able to pass to McKenna, this actor who is so talented and so young, just like Lizzie was. I mean, watching that happen, they were like peas and carrots. It was hilarious, but it was, she was so, so, so wonderful. And I think that scene does mimic this scene i mean so much of the you know you wonder what the show is about people say oh what's the theme of the season or the theme is always motherhood i mean that's what the show's about you know it's about <laughs> motherhood um and so the, the, you know if you look at every moment every moment's probably about motherhood you know um it's a big thing to explore and so i think that that moment really is about motherhood for june and i think at the beginning of the episode she says you know a real mother would have been able, would be able to let it go and she can't so by order of operations the way i learned in math that means she doesn't think she's capable of being a mother um, but if see, she, i love if that she line does this. so much because i as a mom i was like yep. yeah but mom guilt's so real i don't know that mm-hmm. moms let things go i think we are Ever. You, the you compartmentalized don't. oh thanks over there <laughs> <laughs> oh my god bruce i know we don't have any more time with you but i have to ask you one last question what bruce. are you watching this summer what is your tv tuned to oh um you know uh last summer and i'm eager for it to come back i watched outer banks with my daughter who's 15 16 now and that was really fun because there's an aspect to my show that is very kind of pt barnum which is every episode is fully packed i don't like any kind of downtime, you know, if people are going to give me 60 seconds of their day, I want them to get 61 seconds of entertainment, like on a pure entertainment guy level. And I love that about Outer Banks and those kind of shows where shit is happening all the time. All the time. I mean, it's like, you know, it is like, you know, it's, a, it's the, in the first 20 minutes of the episode, you, you, you could, people could break up and get together. And, I, and that is so entertaining. And, and anyway, but watching TV with my daughter, is particularly spectacular, mostly because she teaches me all about how kids today who watch a lot more narrative, even than you guys did, and certainly more than I did, she watches so much narrative in the day, she walks in the room and goes, that's the bad guy, he did it, just by the angle of the shot. <laughs> so I'm trying to make TV that she isn't going to be able to predict. 
And mm. since she's so much meaner than any of you people, it makes it, <laughs> it, it, it makes it I can kind of, you know, I can Paul proof it, you know, by, oh by making it test proofed, you know. I love that. I love that. Bruce, I know you have a busy pack schedule, so we thank you so much. We're really hoping that maybe we get a chance to talk to you again soon, maybe over the summer or something and pick your brain about season five. But until then, we want to say thank you so much for your time and coming on Pod Clubhouse. It was my pleasure to be here. And thank you guys so much for, for doing it. I I love hearing what people think and what they took away from the episode versus what I tried to put in. It's the only way for me to move forward. So it's always, always wonderful to to hear what people have to say. Thank you so much, Bruce. Thanks a lot. Thank you again to Bruce for spending so much time with us. He was fantastic. And I'm so excited to bring more questions to him over the summer so we can hopefully get some little bits of information for season five because you guys, this story just keeps going and going and I have really no idea where it's going next. Mike, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. We so appreciate it. You always have a different POV, and we appreciate you bringing some new thoughts to the table. I appreciate you guys having me here. I, I listen to your, your show, and I, I bounce ideas off of you offline. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hang out and talk wild, non-violent things. So. <laughs> We're hoping that Paul feels better because this has been a hard go on podcasting for old Paul. So we have to get him some cubby wubby womb room tea <laughs> make it feel better <laughs> thanks so much for listening this is caroline this is paul and this is mike thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate review and subscribe to our podcast feeds on apple podcasts Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.